Well, this is different. We had hoped on Wednesday night to start our study of Jeremiah. And unfortunately, due to the circumstances right now, we're not going to be able to do that in person, but we still wanted to offer you something to help you in your studies at home. And so we're going to be providing some short videos for as long as necessary, uh, just to go through and provide some things to look at, some themes to pull out, maybe some ideas or verses to key in on. And we hope that you'll follow along and that you'll be studying Jeremiah with us. Uh, Matt Dow and myself are going to be the ones that are going to be leading these videos, and we're hopeful that in the next couple of weeks, maybe we'll be able to do this in person again. But until then, we hope that you find these helpful, and we'll do our best to provide uh, information that will help you in your study. Uh, if you have a question, just raise your hand and then ask whoever is on the couch beside you. Maybe they'll be able to help you out. Uh, but uh, all kidding aside, if you do have questions, uh, you're welcome to email us. You're welcome to uh, send us messages, give me a phone call. We'd be happy to help in any way that we can. I'm going to start tonight, and I'm going to give an introduction and an overview of Jeremiah and do chapter 1, and then Matt's going to pick up next week with chapters 2 through 6, and we'll alternate back and forth uh, until we get to see each other again in person. So let's think about Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah, one of the major prophets of the Old Testament, he's prophesying to the southern kingdom of Judah. And why is he not prophesying to Israel? They're not there anymore. Uh, Israel has been taken away into Assyrian captivity, and Judah remains. One of the big themes that we're going to see, though, is that Judah didn't seem to really learn anything from Israel being taken away into captivity. And unfortunately, the same fate is coming for them. Uh, one of the things I really wanted to spend some time on tonight is just giving us an overview of uh, the kings that span the time of Jeremiah, and also giving us a little bit of context uh, geopolitically as to what's going on, because I think that really plays into some of the things you see in Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah prophesied for, for a long period of time. He prophesied across the span of several kings uh, right up to the fall of Jerusalem and then even beyond, um, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. And so it kind of helps to know what's going on with the kingdom of Judah, what's going on with the world right now. Um, Let's start with, as, as I mentioned, uh, let's kind of start with the world. What's going on? I mentioned that Assyria is actually on the decline. Uh, we're we're going to be picking up in Jeremiah in the 13th year of King Josiah. We'll talk about him in a second. But during Josiah's reign, Assyria was actually declining as a world power. Uh, Assyria had control of Babylon at one point in time, but Babylon started to win some major battles. And so they, they took Babylon for themselves, and then they actually pushed in and they conquered Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, and really diminished uh, the, the Assyrian presence on the world stage. So what you were left with was Judah. We know, we know where Judah is, kind of right in the middle. So this rising world power to the north, which is Babylon. And then, of course, Egypt to the south, which was still a formidable, a formidable world power at that time, but you're going to see that conflict. You're going to see that conflict between Egypt and between Babylon. So let's give ourselves some context as we think about the, the kings here. Uh, let's go back to Manasseh. We'll start with Manasseh. Uh, you probably, the first thing you think about, wicked king. He reigned for 55 years, and the vast majority of that was all wicked. Now, one thing that was really unique was that right near the end of his life, he repented. Um, 
Now, sadly, that repentance did not have an effect on his son, Ammon. Um, Ammon, by all accounts, was a wicked king. He only reigned for two years. But perhaps that repentance may have had some kind of an impact on Josiah. Uh, Josiah, as we mentioned, is where the book of Jeremiah starts. Josiah uh, started extremely young. He, he, was a, he was a young king. Jeremiah picks up in the 13th year of his reign. And uh, by this point, Josiah's reforms were underway. Josiah was extremely zealous to reform the nation, to purge the land of sin and idolatry. Uh, the book of the law was found. They were restoring temple worship. Josiah, it seems by all account, was doing everything he could to restore the heart of the people. But sadly, what we read in Jeremiah chapter 3 is that the people had not completely repented. There was not a full transformation taking place. Certainly there were some that were following the good example set by Josiah, but, but not all. Um, Josiah, uh, uh, several years later, uh, he uh, un unwisely challenged Pharaoh Necho II in a battle at Megiddo and was mortally wounded um, and, and passed away. And he was the last good king. He, he, the reforms that kind of started with him didn't really take hold. And so the kings that followed him were not able to, uh, to stay in, in that pattern that he had provided to them. After Josiah, you have Jehoahaz, it's also known as Shalom. Now, he only reigned for three months, um, and he was actually deposed by Pharaoh Necho II, the same one that had defeated Josiah in that battle at Megiddo. So then we have Eliakim, probably better known to us as Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim reigned for 11 years. Um, he was made king by Necho II, and he was a son of Josiah. Um, now, at this point in time, the land was placed under heavy tribute to Egypt, and it was very politically unstable. Again, you go back to the world stage at that time. This is when we have the Battle of Carchemish. So Carchemish pitted the Egyptians against the Babylonians. And the Babylonians drove Egypt back. Uh, it was at this time that we have that first wave of captives that is taken. Uh, so those, those captives were taken. This would have included Daniel. And this begins that 70-year period of time of captivity that's referenced in Jeremiah 25. Again, Jehoiakim was a wicked king, and uh, Jeremiah himself even mentions that when Jehoiakim passed away, he was unceremoniously buried outside the gates, and nobody mourned or lamented for him. So it gives you a pretty good idea of what that 11-year period of time was like. After him, we have Jehoiachin, uh, sometimes referred to as Jeconiah or Coniah, but uh, he only reigned for three months, so similar to Jehoahaz, only reigned for three months, and he was actually taken by, uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. He was taken off to Babylon. Uh, interestingly, we, we read later on that it actually seems that he was, he was treated pretty well in Babylon, um, and he lived out the remainder of his days there. But when he was taken away, this was that second wave that was taken into Babylonian captivity, so this would have probably included Ezekiel. Um, it's also interesting, Jeremiah chapter 28 mentions this, that many of the Jews considered Jehoiachin the last true king of Judah. Um, because even though we have another king, we have Zedekiah, and he's also known as Madaniah, and he was also a son of Josiah, he, he was really just, uh, he was a vassal. He was a puppet king to Babylon. Um, and while he reigned for 11 years, it was just extreme political instability. Um, 
He was at opposition to the faction that wanted to get Egyptian support. He was at times in opposition to the faction that wanted Babylonian, greater Babylonian control. He was opposed at times to the princes and the royals. Um, there's even some really interesting interactions with Jeremiah, where he comes to Jeremiah for advice, and it seems like he really wants to take his counsel, uh, but then he doesn't. And one of those situations occurs later on in Jeremiah, right before the fall of Jerusalem, where Jeremiah counsels him to, to, just to accept Babylonian rule, to spare the lives of the people, and he doesn't take that advice. And sadly, we know what happens in 586, the, the city is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, there's tremendous loss of life. That third wave of captives is taken away, and Zedekiah meets a, a, a truly, um, truly terrible end where the last thing that he sees before his eyes are put out are his sons being killed. Um, so uh, we see, though, interestingly enough, the story doesn't end there. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Jeremiah continues to work and continues to prophesy. Even after Zedekiah has been taken away, uh, a governor, Gedaliah, was established by Nebuchadnezzar and by Nebuzaradan. And Gedaliah, by all accounts, seemed like he wanted to kind of preserve peace in the land, um, but he didn't get a chance to do that. An individual named Ishmael, who was uh, apparently working for the Ammonites, assassinated Gedaliah. And so then you're left with this, this remnant. And they come to Jeremiah for advice, and Jeremiah gives them essentially the same advice that he gave to, uh, to Zedekiah. And this was not his own personal take. This was advice. This was instruction from the Lord. He said, stay here in the land, serve Babylon, and God will bless you. He will take care of you. He will preserve you as a remnant. Did they take his advice? No, sadly not. They decided to flee to Egypt, and they take Jeremiah with him. But Jeremiah still continues to be that faithful servant of the Lord. And he prophesies to those people even in Egypt, and he prophesies against the other nations. So what are some themes? Uh, real quickly, uh, just a couple to point out as we're going through our study. Uh, the first one is that Jeremiah, after Josiah, received essentially no support from the leadership, no support from other prophets, from people. In fact, he received outright opposition. Uh, he was called a traitor. He was accused of treason. He was accused of weakening the people uh, and weakening the army. Uh, of course, the other false prophets attacked him. The kings attacked him. Uh, there's even one uh, situation that's presented in Jeremiah chapter 36, where Jeremiah's writings were taken by Jehoiakim, cut up and burned. So if that gives you any insight into how his message was received, uh, it, it wasn't well. But yet throughout all of this, he remains dedicated to the Lord and dedicated to the Lord's word and being that faithful messenger and servant of God. Uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, but Jeremiah chapter 3 and in verse 10 uh, really brings out there the state of the people, even while Josiah is performing these nationwide reforms, the people haven't fully turned. And that's a consistent message that Jeremiah is trying to present to them to fully repent, that judgment is coming. It is coming. It came for Israel, and it is coming for you. We're going to see that even in chapter 1 tonight. Uh, we see also several times, uh, even as I just mentioned, this comparison between trusting in God and trusting in other men. God has proven himself faithful time and time and time again. 
they didn't have to go back very far to see how God had protected them during the time of Hezekiah against the Assyrians. But yet, as we see, they continue to go after these alliances. And they think that if they can just find a strong nation to ally themselves with, all their problems will go away. And they fail to realize that God is the one they need to turn to. God is the one they need to put their faith and their trust in. Finally, one other point that I want to bring out is that it's interesting to me to see this struggle inside of Jeremiah himself. He has a love for his people. And you can see in his prophecy, in his words, that his heart breaks when he proclaims God's judgment because he knows the pain and the suffering and the loss of life. When you think about the city being destroyed, when you think about the temple being destroyed, people taken away captive, people being killed, he takes takes no pleasure in bringing that message and he, he mourns and weeps at the message that he's bringing to the people. But on the same hand, he also has this abiding love for God and he wants righteousness to be upheld. He wants God's justice to be poured out against the sinful and the unrighteous. And so it's it's incredible to see that, that struggle within him as he mourns for his people, but he also wants to uphold God's justice. Uh, if you're thinking about an outline, um, it, it's kind of it's tough because Jeremiah is not, uh, not particularly chronological. We do have some guide, um, but there are some sections that we don't know, and there's some sections that don't perfectly fit. Um, but you can kind of loosely arrange the book based on uh, the leaders at the time. The first 20 chapters are, uh, for the most part, under the reign of Josiah. Chapters 21 through 39 are prophecies that occur during the reign of Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. Uh, Of course, you have Jehoahaz and you have Jehoiachin in there, but they're just so short. There's three months each. There is a section in there, chapters 30 through 33. It's referred to as the Book of Consolation. Um, And then 40 through 45. That's really the ministry after the fall of Jerusalem. 46 through 51, the prophecies concerning the other nations. And then 52 is really just a historical review, um, almost an addendum at the very end of the book to give an overview of what's going on there. Uh, well, let's go ahead and let's just jump into chapter one and try to cover some of the things that we're going to see there. As I mentioned, if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to send them to Matt, send them to me. Uh, let me know there are things that maybe we can talk about in the next week's video, um, and we can continue on our studies that way. But let's open up to Jeremiah chapter one. There in the first three verses, we see really an introduction. Uh, We're introduced to Jeremiah. We're told that he comes from a priestly family, a Levitical family, in the city of Anathoth. Um, Anathoth was about three miles away from Jerusalem. Um, It mentions that he's the son of Hilkiah. Now, we've been talking a lot about Josiah, so you might remember Hilkiah. It appears that Hilkiah was uh, the priest that found the book of the law. Now, there uh, there is no... There's no evidence that supports that Jeremiah would have been the son of that Hilkiah. Um, so, so we can't necessarily, necessarily connect that. Um, it just mentions here that he is the son of, of Hilkiah. Uh, when you come to the next couple of verses, verses 4 through 10, this is God's call to him. And as you look through here, see if it reminds you of anything else. Uh, I'll, I'll just read real quickly uh, verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me and said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, verse six, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. So God comes to Jeremiah and says, Before you were formed in the womb, I knew the purpose that I had for you. And that's, those are pretty, those are pretty stunning words. I can imagine putting myself in Jeremiah's shoes. God had come to me and said, you, from before you were formed in the womb, have a specific purpose. It's a big responsibility. And Jeremiah responds like most of us would, that's too big for me. You know, he says in verse six, I can't speak from a youth. Maybe kind of reminds me a little bit of Moses. But in verse 7, God says, Do not say I'm a youth. You shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces. I am with you to deliver you. So a vote of confidence and reassurance from the Lord that he is going to give Jeremiah the words to say, first of all, and then he's going to be with him. He is going to be there to strengthen him. Verse 9, again, see if this reminds you of anything. The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. Does it remind you of Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 6, with the hot coal. Um, just think there about the strength and the reassurance that would have given the prophet to know that you're not going to be on your own. God is going to be giving you the words to say, the words to speak, as you are speaking to power, as you are speaking to other prophets, as you are speaking to priests and people. God's going to be with you, and God's going to give you those words. Come to verses 11 and 12. This is the first thing that Jeremiah sees, and he sees this almond tree. Um, now, what's the significance of seeing this almond tree? Well, an, an almond tree in the springtime is one of the first to bud. And so you have this, this change that's taking place. Something is being brought about. Something that was not there is now all of a sudden appearing. Um, and there's also a little bit of a, a little bit of wordplay here. The Hebrew word for almond tree is also the same word for hasten. And so what you see in verse 12, the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. You get the sense here that God is telling him, it's time. The time is coming. My judgment is going to be poured out upon the people, much like an almond tree that throughout the winter doesn't have any buds on it. And all of a sudden you start to see those blossoms. Change is coming. Um, and again, the idea of hastening, it's quickening, it's going to be here soon. Then what we see in verses 13 down through verse following is this another vision, and this one is of a boiling pot. Similar idea. You think about a pot that's boiling, what does that mean? It's ready. Don't let it boil. It's ready to be poured out. It's ready to be used. And what's significant is that the boiling pot is facing away from the north. And that's signifying where this is going to come from. It's going to come from the north. It's going to come from Babylon as they're coming down. Uh, look with me, if you would, in, let's see, verse 16. He explains why this judgment is coming from the north. I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. It's pretty plain. Uh, that, that's, that's the reason it's been given. Judah has forsaken God. And so judgment is going to be coming. Um, what's interesting is as we finish this kind of, uh, finish chapter one, really goes back to that first message to Jeremiah. <clears throat> he basically tells him in verses 17 and following, get ready, Jeremiah. 
you've got a tall task, you've got a tough mission ahead of you, but I'm going to be with you. Let's read real quick verses 18 and 19. Behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar, bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. An encouraging message to the prophet as he's setting out on a pretty tough task. I hope this has been helpful to you. Again, Matt's going to be back next week, and he's going to cover chapters 2 through 6. And in the meantime, if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to call us or send us an email. We'll do our best to address those. Thanks.